This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Back up in the mountains and have their churches and worship. And they were known as Williamites because King William, or King Billy, they called him, uh, is the one who conquered Ireland and uh, outlawed Catholicism at the time, made it pro-Protestant. Uh, of course, that changed over the years. Uh, but uh, they were loyalists to William, King William, uh, this before the Revolutionary War. And so they were known as Williamites. So when they would go back up into the mountains and come down and get their stuff and go back up in the mountains, they became known as Hill Williams or Hill Williamites or... Hillbillies, because King William's name was nickname was King Billy. So that's where the term hillbilly comes from. Uh, how many of you knew that? That's what I thought. <laughs> Some people are like, they might have, yes. It's, uh, it goes back a long ways. Uh, the people in Ireland and Scotland know it quite well. They know our history sometimes better than we do. But uh, while they were up in the mountains, the Germans immigrated into America and brought with them an instrument called a Scheitholt. And uh, it's uh, quite a bit different from this, but it had a diatonic scale. And so it was very similar to it. But somewhere along the way, the Scots-Irish played their music on it and fell in love and changed it and turned it into a different instrument with a different shape and a raised fretboard and uh, all kinds of things. So it becomes the only truly American instrument. In fact, uh, um, well, let me give you a little taste of what it would sound like up in the mountains. In the mountains, they often played in minor tunings. It's a diatonic instrument for the most part. Um, and um, the, the people in the mountains would sing their children to sleep or play it in church. It was the only accepted, really, instrument outside of like an organ that was played in church. Um, the, the fiddle was called the devil's music, and uh, I don't know how that got to be, except that when people played those things really fast, they started dancing, and I guess that probably had something to do with it. But... Uh, uh, but oftentimes they would play their hymns and songs on this instrument. And uh, th this is an old, old mountain uh, song. And uh, so I thought you might like to, like to hear it. So we got this mic on. Can you hear it? Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, Satan, your kingdom must come down. I'm gonna pray till I tear the kingdom down. Pray till I tear the kingdom down. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, Satan, your kingdom must come down. I'm gonna 
sing till I tell the kingdom down. Sing till I tell the kingdom down. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Now with that, you get that drone sound like a bagpipe. But then in the 1950s and 60s, there became a folk revival. And uh, the hippies got a hold of the dulcimer. Hey, don't laugh. Some of you were hippies. I was. Yeah, I was. I was kind of in all of that. But uh, so they changed it up, added more frets and changed the instrument up. And this is a semi-chromatic dulcimer. I want to do a song that kind of go along and it's just an instrumental piece, but it kind of goes along with my message today. It's more of a parable. It's called Reuben's Train, but it really was about a man in England. True story. Build a train build his own train when train tracks were gone in the 19th century, about 1830, and uh, decided he was going to put it on the tracks and drive it himself. And he thought he could show everybody. So he went under his own power, his own strength, got the train on the tracks, opened the throttle up, and flew down the tracks, crashed it, and died. Isn't that a happy story? I'm just trying to cheer you up. Um, the moral of it is, if you try to do things in your own power and your own strength without God, you're sure to fail. So this is Reuben's train, and I've changed it up and tried to make it sound like a train. And you might hear the clickety-clack of the tracks and a little train whistle here or there, so just kind of listen to it. But keep that story in mind.
comes the train crash. That's a little mountain dulcimer for you. But we cannot afford to try to run our life in our own power, in our own strength. Uh, I don't know if it happens to you, but when I do that, I get exhausted. Anybody else? How many of you are tired? <laughs> you know what amazes me? We do not work physically as hard as the generations that went on before us at all. Yet, more so than ever, do I hear people talking about how exhausted and worn out they are. But we're worn out on a different level. We're not worn out by physical work, which is a good thing in many ways. Uh, really, I feel like a lot of our stress and... Uh, what we're experiencing in, in the way of stress comes from the fact that, uh, you know, we are stressed out by what's going on in the world, you know, what the world is doing and what's taking place, and we're getting exhausted mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We've had a lot that has uh, transpired in our world. We've shifted through change after change. Uh, they no longer are going to identify generations by uh, X or Y or whatever anymore because within a single generation, the world is shifting so fast and so quickly that it's impossible to keep up with it. In other words, change is happening and continuously happening in our lives. Things are spiraling. And our culture is shifting along with it, so much so that we almost don't know how to address it. It's why we're, we're exhausted by it, you know? Uh, I, I began to experience when, you know, in the, from the 70s to the 80s, things shifted. I could see in a decade how things started changing. By the 90s, it was starting to get weird, you know? By the year 2000, it was even weirder. You know, all of a sudden we're going to have a computer crash and all these things are going to happen, and it got bizarre. Then 9-11 happened, and then I thought, man, things are really changing. And then since then, it's like in the last 20 years, a little less than 20, things have shifted so dramatically, so quickly. It's unbelievable. Uh, you know, we've gone from... Um, Phones, believe it or not, young people, phones that were attached to a wall. And if you wanted to walk around and talk with it, you had to have a long cord to where we can talk to anybody almost any place on the face of the earth without a cord. Things have shifted. Your mind cannot keep up with it. Our text today is about loving God with all of your strength. But how are you going to do it when you've exhausted it all? So let's look at our text this morning at first place in Mark chapter 12 that we always use. You shall love, you know it by heart by now, you shall love the Lord your God 
with all of your mind. Well, they've gone to the Lord our God is one. Go on to the next one. So we got all the words up there. Okay, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. Yeah, well, that's a big one. Love God with all of your strength. Philippians 4.13 tells us this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Lord, open your word to our mind and to our hearts this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I have to have strength in my life because every single day throughout the week and then on the weekends they come by, I have to watch my three-year-old granddaughter. That takes a lot of energy and a lot of strength. And she thinks I am a 60-year-old, 68-year-old playmate. And she thinks I have the same energy that she has at three. And I don't. But she comes and says to me, Granddad, or she calls me Granddad, will you play with me? And I can never say no to her for whatever reason. I'm ruining this kid because whatever she wants, she pretty much gets from Granddad. But I go and I play with her, and we run around the house, we play outside, I fight battles with Indians and outlaws and creatures from outer space, and I'm exhausted by the end of the day, to where half the time I can't remember even what I'm supposed to be doing. But every day, somewhere, I find strength for another day. God knows that we don't have the ability or the strength to love him with all that we have. What he does wish is for us to take our energy and expend it in him. In him. Psalm 22 talks about being dried up like a potsherd. My energy is lost. I am wasting away. It's a messianic psalm that talks about Jesus hanging on the cross and how he is surrounded by dogs, strong dogs of Bashan. How they pierced his hand and feet and how utterly wasted he is. His tongue is so dry. Yet they feed him with vinegar. It is interesting to note that God knows that we will be exhausted. But the point of the matter is our energy needs to be directed in him, and when we reach exhaustion, he will pour strength into us. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Energy or the power that should come into our lives does not come by our own natural abilities. It doesn't come because you work out. I grew up working out with weights. Having polio in my right leg, I, I started doing that as therapy to try to strengthen my leg, and, and it helped me immensely in life. But the more you work out, the more you wear out. 
the, the more you work, period, the more you wear out. In fact, one doctor in Japan has stated that if you want to live to be old, rest as much as possible. Because the more you use up your energy in your body, the sooner you're going to wear out. And the sooner you will die. I can remember back in the days of Goodyear in the factory where there would be men who would be working there and they'd just carry them out. They would die in the factory. They worked every overtime they could get. They worked every shift they could get. They worked, worked, worked until they just carried them out even before they could retire on a stretcher. You can wear yourself out physically. Jesus says, Oh, you who are weary, come to me, and I will give you rest. When we direct our energy towards God, towards our relationship with him, we not only find rest for our souls, but we find newfound energy that gets poured into our life through the Holy Spirit. To as many as believed on Jesus, it says in John chapter 1, as many as believed on him gave he the power, the authority, the strength to become the sons of God. God will pour strength into your life when you're worn out and exhausted. There have been many times in my life where I have been to the place where I was so exhausted that I didn't know how I was to go on or even get up on a Sunday morning and preach. But somewhere from some place, God would give me the strength and the power that I need to do it. I don't know how. I was raised in a... To say it was a dysfunctional home is to put it mildly. I, you know, I think I may have shared with you the story of my family is I was raised by wolves. And that's basically how I grew up. I never had good boundaries. When I grew up not only as a person who did drugs and was an alcoholic, uh, but I was a workaholic. I picked it all up from my dad. My dad was an alcoholic that could come in at 2 in the morning and get up at 5 and go to work and never miss a day of work. Workaholic, alcoholic. Do it all. Push, push, push. So when I got saved, I went from alcoholism to churchaholism. I went from uh, drug addiction to book addiction. I couldn't pass up a used bookstore the same way a drunk couldn't pass up a bar. I was so involved in what I was doing, so filled with it that I didn't realize I was doing it in my own strength. I had a great love for Jesus, but everything I was doing was being driven by addiction, driven by compulsion, driven by that negative energy. If you have in you a negative energy that says, I have to, I have to, I have to do this, i got to keep going, then you are not being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings you peace, brings you joy, brings you gentleness, contentment, love. You know, when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you don't have that negative energy saying, ooh, I got to, I got to, I got to do this. That negative energy is what is addiction. It's what brings compulsion. That you do not want in your life. 
When God is filling your heart, he gives you a sense of peace about things. And you know that what you do is okay because you're not doing it under your own authority or your own drivenness, but by the leading of the Spirit of God in a very gentle way, you know? And that's really important to learn. It took me years to be able to break the power of addiction in my life. But it didn't come because Steve figured it out on his own, or Steve got smart, or Steve uh, studied a book, or read a book, uh, and I did that for years, read book after book, thinking on the next page I'd discover what I needed to do and what's wrong with me. Anybody done that stuff? Yeah, I did that. What, What happened was, I utterly exhausted myself and had no place to go, and I finally surrendered and gave up. Waved the white flag, said, Jesus, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this at all. And do you know what he said to me? Good. Now I can start working in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul makes this very statement. When I read this, it blew my mind. I thought it was a credible thing to, uh, to hear said in the scripture. Um, you know, we grew up uh, in a self-actualization world where they said, oh, you can do it, you can make it happen, you're it, you're great, you're wonderful. And we're all haunted by the fact that deep down inside we know we're, we're not all that great nor all that wonderful. Am I right? And uh, so we live in this generation that says you must do more. You know, there was a commercial for women back in the 70s. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan, and never let you forget you're a man. Wow. Well, listen to what Paul says about his experience in life. And here's a man that really accomplished a great deal. He accomplished so much, in fact, that he has been studied because his impact on the Western world cannot be overestimated. The whole world changed because of the ministry of this man. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, uh, becoming conceited, as this text says, I was given a thorn in my my flesh. I was given a thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to to buffet me or to keep me from uh, exalting myself. Wow. That alone is kind of like, kind of difficult. You know, I was given a messenger from Satan to keep me from exalting myself. Hey, God, I thought you were supposed to cooperate with me and make all my deals work out. God says, when you're running out of my will and you're running down a path that you cannot recover from, I'm going to let you struggle because you've got to have some sort of weakness stopping point in your life where you come back to God. It's one of the reasons why I think, I don't think God gave me polio. I don't believe God does things to us. But I think it was permitted because if I could have run with both legs, there would have been no stopping me when I was young. I'd have probably run right off of a cliff. 
Because I'm one of those people who's just crazy enough to try anything. You know, I jumped out of airplanes at 10,000 feet in the air with a parachute. I'm that crazy. I'm crazy enough to, to hike mountains and cliffs and, and hike onto the very edge of a precipice that drops two miles down into a canyon. I'm just that crazy. If I had two good legs, I'd be probably scaling those mountains. And I'd probably die because I don't have common sense with that. Paul says, I was given this messenger of Satan. Now, we're not sure what it was. You know, uh, it, usually I suspect it's blindness that was given to Paul. He was struck blind on the Damascus Road, and, and uh, I think he probably all of his life had a struggle with, with, with sight, but it grew worse and worse. When he writes the Galatian letters at the end of Galatians, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you? So probably was blindness, though some scholars believe it's proof he was married. Just kidding. My wife hits me every time I say that. Uh, but He says, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I asked the Lord three times, take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I get this. For my power, my strength is made perfect or is perfected in weakness. Do you get that? God's perfect work in your life does not come when you're at your best. It comes when you are at your worst. It comes when you don't have the strength or the energy to go on because now his power is what can lead you and take you further. When you walk in your own strength and your own power, you will fail. You're running without God. The biggest problem we have in the church today is we've come to believe more in the power of money than the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that money can solve all of our problems. Money is what makes ministry happen. That is not true. Ministry does not happen because of money. Money can buy you lights, but lights are not ministry. Money can buy you buildings, but buildings are not ministry. Ministry is the moment that the power of the Holy Spirit permeates into your life and takes over. When ministry happens, brothers and sisters come together. Men and women come together praying and lifting up one another in the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed in each of our lives through the power of prayer. That is ministry and you can't buy it. That's what changed the world. It's what in Paul's time turned the world upside down. Because when you experience that power, you discover that with God, all things are possible. We don't know that when we're trying to do it in our strength because we only know what we can do. And then if we can't see the possibilities in our own strength, in our own minds, with our own wisdom, then we say it can't be done. But the power of God is so much greater than us that with him, anything can happen if we just let it. Paul goes on to say, 
I entreated him these three times that it might depart from me, but he said to this, my strength, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness. How many of you go around boasting about your weakness? Hey, let me tell you where I'm really messed up. How many of you do that? I want to tell you how broken I am. Anybody do that? No? I, unless you're in a 12-step group? Problem is, the early church was more like a 12-step group than it was of what we mostly see today. It was a place where people confessed their sins one to another in order that they might be healed. That's what James says. He says, I glory, boast about my weakness, that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. Are you content to be weak? I am content with weaknesses, with insults. Wow, are you content with insults? With distresses, with persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you grasp this? When I am weak, then I am strong. When does a person come to know Christ? When they've tried and exhausted every avenue to make their life work and have failed miserably. And the weight of sin is so heavy upon them and they don't know which direction to turn. And finally they come and say, Lord, I surrender all. Hmm? It's when we finally come to the end of ourselves and we realize that we can't do it anymore. That God can take over. What is the root of the deeper experience of the Christian life? Uh, the root of the deeper experience of the being lived, uh, a life that's being lived in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, is the life that lets God be in control of them, and they themselves are not in control. When we stop being the person who says, I have to have it my way. <laughs> when we say, Oh, I'm willing to let God have his way. Let your will be done, Lord, not mine. That's when the Spirit gets in control in your life. But when you feel you have to have, that is the danger. Even Jesus said some very difficult words for us to understand, and he wasn't speaking that you literally should do this, but he said if your right hand offends you, cut it off, or if your eye offends you, pluck it out. There's something in your life that you can't seem to let go of. And you'd be better off if you didn't have your hands and you could release it. The most difficult thing in the world is for us to let go of our demands. Anytime a secondary thing in life becomes a demand, it becomes an obsession and an addiction. 
Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. But, as C.S. Lewis said, when we put second things first, we lose both first and secondary things. Whenever we take one of those second things, these other things that Jesus talks about that will be added, and demand that they be met first, then we lose out. We're moving God out of first place. God needs to remain in first place and us in second place. And we need to let our demands be met by the Lord and not by our obsession. It's very important to recognize that. Because secondary things can come to mean way more than they should. And I fear that oftentimes in our culture and in our world today, in the Christian culture I'm speaking of, we've allowed the secondary things to become more meaningful, more important than just simple devotion to Jesus. You know, church isn't hard. It isn't difficult. It's not complicated in the fact of you've got to really work hard to figure it out. It's very simple. Jesus said, come and follow me. Make me first. Saw a cartoon on the uh, internet somewhere where Jesus is sitting with a young man of today and he says, I want you to follow me. He says, you mean on Facebook? He said, no. He says, you mean on Twitter? No. I'm going to start over again, Jesus says, and let you tell me where I lose you. (laughs) That's the truth. Where are we being lost to this? When Jesus says, I want you to follow me, he's saying, I want you to walk in my footsteps, to go where I am leading and to do what I am doing. It's really just imitating what Jesus has called us to do to be like him. That's all it is. It's not us sitting around trying to figure it out. How can I get out of it? It's simply just doing it. And if we just do it, we'll be amazed at what God will do, and the power that is unleashed in our life. If you want to wear yourself out, then wear yourself out in prayer before the throne of the Lord. If you want to wear yourself out, wear yourself out by shutting your prayer closet, seeking the face of God, worshiping Him, adoring Him, seeking Him. Let that be the direction of your energy. And then you're free to enjoy anything else that comes into your life. But let him be the source of strength. Let him be the joy of your life. I enjoy a great many things, but I don't have to have any of them. You know, uh, for years I grew up, when I was a little kid, I, you know, we, we carried pocket knives to school. I know that sounds foreign to you, but we did. And we played a game called Mumbly Peg. And that means, and this will really frighten you parents, but we'd open up our blades of our knife, all of them, and flip them off of our shoulder and stick them in the ground and so forth. And you had to do all this stuff, and there were points and all that. I won't get into that. But uh, I never could get anybody to buy me a decent pocket knife. So when I got to be old enough to burn my own money, I bought myself a nice case knife. Boy, I like that. Then I thought, well, that one, what if I lose that? I better buy another just in case. 
and then another, and then another. Next thing you know, I had 400 pocket knives. It's the truth. Lord, when I got saved, the Lord says, what are you doing with all of that? Well, I don't know. Oh, I'd put a real nice one in my pocket. You know, I don't have many luxuries, but I carry a nice pocket knife in my pocket. The Lord would say to me, you see that person over there? I want you to give him that knife. Well, Lord, I just bought this thing. This is pretty nice. He said, give it to him. Wow. Well, the Lord told me to give this to you. Pretty soon I had people saying, uh, well, I want to give you one. And I said, well, I'll start praying for you. And then I started saying, when I gave him a knife, I, the Lord told me to give this to you, and I want you to pray for me. Pretty soon I started dwindling my collection. <laughs> well, the Lord started dwindling my collection. Why? Because possessing things isn't the goal of my life. I can enjoy them now, and I am free to give them away. You understand? Free to give them away. Yeah? I had a fellow come over, wanted to see some of my knives. He looked at one. He picked that, looked up one, picked it up, and oh, held that thing close and close. I knew he was already obsessed. So I thought, better let the dog have the bone than fight him for it. But you have to see that having things isn't what makes your life happy. Giving them away does. Giving them away. And uh, that's the whole goal of life, is following in the footsteps of Jesus, who said, if a man asks for your coat, give him your cloak as well. Jesus says, follow me. If a man asks, uh, you know, you for something, give to him, looking for nothing in return, so that you can go your way in life and enjoy just blessing others. That's following Jesus. Do you know how much energy and strength you waste trying to hold on to things? When sometimes you just need to follow Jesus and let it go. Let it go. If you're going to love God with all of your strength, then exhaust your strength in devoting yourselves to prayer and to following Jesus, walking in his footsteps. Don't exhaust your energy on the things of this world. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy them. I can enjoy baseball games. I can enjoy all kinds of activities and outdoor things. But I don't make them the goal of my life. They are not the place where all of my energy is directed. My energy is constantly having to be brought before the Lord. Because there's no other place to go. I've made a point of studying the life of Abraham Lincoln and uh, written papers on the spirituality of Abraham Lincoln. And one of the most interesting things is, is that Lincoln's life was one of the most tragic, and yet the, one of the, so, the, probably one of the, the most important persons who ever led this country. Without him, we wouldn't be existing today as we are, in any shape or form. But Lincoln came to a point as he, the presidency and the war rolled on where he made this statement. He said, many times 
I have been driven to my knees in prayer by the overwhelming conviction that I had no other place to go. Alfred Lord Tennyson and Mortar D. Arthur said this, More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. What are men better than sheep or goats who nourish a blind life if knowing how to pray they fail to do so for them whom they call both friend and brother? Where is your energy directed? Are you tired? Come unto me, Jesus says. Are you weary? I will give you rest. Are you weak? God's strength is perfected in weakness. Give yourself to him completely. and See what he will do. Stand with me. I want you to do something with me, if you would, today. I want you to you'll want to to give yourself to the Lord. We have a thing that we do when we pray often is where we hold out open hands like this. Open hands before the Lord means this. I'm ready to receive whatever you wish to give me, Lord. Whatever you wish to give me. And I'll be open to it. I, I, I'm in the receiving position of whatever your spirit wishes to pour into my life. We are called to worship God with open hands and open hearts. And when we open our hands, we're saying, I am also opening my heart. So today, I want you to just bow your heads with me and say this with me. Jesus is here. Say it with me. Jesus is here. Now hold open your hands and say it again. Jesus is here. Everybody say it with me. Jesus is here. Feel that. Sense his presence. Say it again. Jesus is here. He said, where two or more gather together in my name, there am I in the midst. Jesus is here. Now simply hold yourself before him. See him how you do in your mind's eye. And tell him right now how weak you are. Be like Paul. Glory in your brokenness. Tell him how you have failed. Tell him if you're tired and you can't go on. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Hold out your arms to Jesus. And pray right now, Lord Jesus, come into my life, into my heart. I confess my brokenness, my sins, my failures. And I am here to receive all you have for me. Forgive me for running my life in my own abilities and strength. Now I ask for you to enter in and my life be directed by the ability of God. God, may your abilities manifest in my life.
in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen.